Hey folks, welcome to this week's podcast. It's Michael Shelley here. This guy has been on our program three times previous, and because of that, we went in a slightly different direction this time, and this is kind of a rambling, all-over-the-place interview with a bunch of songs, uh, live performances stuck in. So if you're interested in sort of his regular biography, check out the earlier interviews. They're all at wfmu.org slash Michael. The one from 2009 uh, also has some performance in it and is sort of the most complete interview. The other two were on the phone, but I think they're all worth a listen. Uh, I, I would have tacked it onto the end of this, but it, this is already over an hour, so I think that's... I, I don't want to test anybody's download patience, etc. Uh, he's just a fantastic, special really one-of-a-kind performer, musician, brain, etc. Uh, I'm always interested in your comments, feedback. I'm at Michael S at WFMU.org. And uh, what we have here today is really as it happened. There's very little cut out. Just, just, just a few boring, redundant, bad questions, mostly on my part. And also, I cut out a rant where I went off on a tear about a couple of recent opening acts that drove me crazy. But... You're better off not hearing it. Uh, here he is, the great Robbie Folks. Uh, Robbie Folks is here. Up, we're up in Studio B. I'm not going to lie. Oh, by the way, Robbie, this is going to air September 16th. Uh huh. So is per- that after the world ends, or yeah? That's, <laughs> okay, good. That's before Elvis was. Will, will, We'll be alive again. Uh, so pretend it's then. So you're not, you know. Okay. Gosh, it's kind of cool out. <laughs> exactly. I was chilly on the way here. How was here. your dinner last night? Uh, <laughs> okay. Robbie Folks joins us again now. I was making up these notes to talk to you today. And you, you were on Becky's show, I think, last year in May. And you were on my show years ago playing live. And you've been on the phone a few times with me and we, i listened back to the longer one we did when you came in in person and I, you were one of the guests that i that does it the way i like where i asked you a question you listened to it and you answered it okay i'll try to do that again again today with the uh, disclaimer that my hearing uh has gone downhill just a little bit in the last uh six years so um uh, speak clearly i will and then i'll try to think although also the thought processes are a little bit slower you know, as you age? Sure. So uh, we've both uh, come some distance in the last six years. We have, but I think we both look relatively good. It might be an interesting show for the listener, but in the wrong ways, you know, a way that doesn't reflect well on us. You know, it might be a little car accidenty or something. No. I, well, what I was going to say is that because you did such a great job, we've really covered your whole life, uh, I think. And, There's not a lot left. And folks should go back to the archives if they want to hear your life story. So I've got a bunch of odd disconnected questions today uh and i think it'll be fun we'll, we'll talk and, and first thing i want to do is say thank you for uh, recording sally g for us which was on our fundraising cd more supers in the 70s fantastic record and i was not aware of it at all i did somehow the the paul mccartney version escaped me uh b-side of uh, junior's farm it's funny because there's almost nothing about popular music that I know very much about, but that window of time, like when I was, you know, 11 or whatever it was, you know, to 13, uh, maybe a little bit younger, but paying attention to, like, popular music and what was on the radio. And so that kind of trivia, I mean, you're the same age, and uh, so... Did you, you buy the 45 of that? I did, yeah. And that was recorded in Nashville, I believe. Right. Went to Nashville and recorded with the guys. With uh, Lloyd Green plays on it, and because uh, when we were recording it, I remember there was some weirdness in the fiddle line, and so I wrote or I emailed Lloyd that day to ask him, like, who's playing fiddle, and was this part written out? Because it sounded kind of through composed, this one section, although through composed by an insane you know, a uh, person in shackles or something. And it's a w- weird fiddle line. And I couldn't figure out if it was Vassar uh, Clements playing it or uh, or the other guy, who's who I forget who that is now. Anyway, yeah, Nashville A-team players, some of whom are still around and playing well. And it was like this phase in Paul's uh, thing, a little bit like the street legal phase of Bob Dylan's career. It was like something interesting that suddenly happened that could have developed into an interesting chapter of, you know, several years, but instead it was just, it snapped shut quickly and it was gone. But it, uh, to me, that song reflects interestingly on 
you know, what could have been a really fruitful thing for Paul McCartney, doing country music out of Nashville. That would have been great. I agree. Well, also, or just some hybrid thing like Junior's Farm, certainly not sure. country, but would have sounded different recorded in, you know, somewhere else in New York or L.A. or whatever. Yeah. And then he went to Alan Toussaint's thing and recorded some songs. And I think he was just into going around and, you know pretending he was a carefree guy you know i think that, that was, was a good. difference i think between then and now i hate to be one of the those that was a difference between then and now guys but um in the 70s it seemed like at, at that level of the music business it was more experimental superstars just doing totally different things album after album year after year you know just what's he going to do now Oh, suddenly a 180-degree turn. Now he's doing that. He's gone to Finland and he's recording Death Chants or something, you know. <laughs> but the, a guy like Paul to do that and have hits throughout. I mean, that's, you know, the – and now it seems like when he's trying to have hits, he, he you know, it's – it's yeah, he can't. But let's not talk about Paul McCartney anymore. Uh, okay. You were nominated for a Grammy – for Best Folk Album for Upland Stories, which I think we talked on the phone right before then, and your song was nominated for Best Americana Roots Song, and you went to the Grammys, right, in a tuxedo, mm -hmm. the whole thing. Right. How was that experience? Uh, was it fun? It was... Uh, I, I loved it, Michael. I was... I mean, it was an expensive experience. My whole family was there, and a couple people from Bloodshot, the company that puts out my records, so it, it cost us... You know, a small fortune, but it was an, it was educational. And uh, besides that, the enjoyment factor of the telecast part was well, a lot was higher ask, than I would have expected. Who played? And it was, you know, did you get to see anyone, any great performances? We had performances? great seats. The show was three and a half hours, and that was just part of the day because there was a whole other, you know, awards thing. Uh, but Beyonce, Adele, uh, Bruno Mars, Metallica, Lady Gaga, Pentatonix, William Bell, on and on and on. And... Um, just the level, the quality level, to me was, I mean, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I guess I'm kind of an idiot, and I don't pay much attention, as I said, to popular music. But when you see that they're just in front of you, and somebody hands them a mic, and they sing, you're like, oh, that's what I do, too. <laughs> Except, I mean, they're doing it insanely well with these uh, production numbers and, the, and this pageantry about it. And uh, I, was, I was, frankly, kind of bowled over, um, not by Katy Perry so much, but the rest of the singers, her song was kind of... It might have been lip-synced. I couldn't quite tell. Most of them were, weren't singing along to recorded tracks or anything. They were just performing, and uh, that I, I was just bowled over. Uh, I think if you read all of the press ever written about you, one theme you're going to read over and over again is that you are a guy who's – yeah, you know, wants to break all the rules and uh, is an outsider and doesn't care for the Nashville – authority doesn't care for any authority he wants to do everything your own way and like what we're talking about paul mccartney every record you've made a lot of turns music wise in your career when perhaps making the same record over and over would have maybe helped you in your career or whatever you've said no to that uh so it's interesting that and, and it's funny i was listening back to one of our old interviews and i asked you if uh, getting signed to geffen hurt your indie cred and you said it definitely did so so here you are getting nominated for a grammy that's the ultimate uh, insider mm -hmm. thing like uh, well all this stuff is something that you know affects things for four months or whatever and then it you know it just becomes a part of some distant story maybe that somebody remembers you know uh but that stuff that you said about me i don't I don't think that's quite uh, right about the rule breaking thing. And if it's like a, if it's like a, um, if it's like a trait that affixes to you and that becomes uh, helpful and defining you for people and a positive thing for people, then that's fine. And I'm happy to, you know, happy enough to go with that. But really, what um, what I do is just I make the records I want to make, and I'm unpopular. But I didn't plan to be unpopular and i wouldn't prefer it that way i guess but but uh, a definite I, advantage of being unpopular is you can do what the hell you want to do you know but am i wrong that there were choices in your career where you literally took a road because you wanted to do it more than the road that well you this goes back to what we were just saying i mean that's what my heroes did when i was growing up some of my heroes in music and i noticed that uh they just they they were expressive and free and and willful and just followed their own muses very freely. And I don't think people do that as much nowadays, but I can't help but follow that example because that was what I observed when I was, you know, eight years old. Yeah. Uh, can you, you – you brought your guitar today, and I, I want you to play something for us. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you feel like playing? Something, something number one hit-ish. <laughs> 
Do you want me to play uh, Paradise by the Dashboard Light? Because that was, uh, I noticed that was playing when I drove up to your parking lot. Were you listening to WFMU? I wish. No, I was listening to my cell phone. <laughs> I'll play That's you. That's never been one of my favorites. I don't know if I ever listened all the way through, and it, uh, it came up, and I saw, oh, how long is this? And it goes like eight minutes and 20 seconds. <laughs> I really got to skip this. And then I thought, well, I've never really listened to it, so why don't I give it a shot? It's uh, yeah, it's a pretty shallow tune, but... It's like a mini rock opera. It, it goes back a little bit to what we were just saying again. It's like guys pursuing their interests against what might seem logical or <laughs> rational to the market. I'll do you one from... From my uh, from Upland Stories, and it goes uh, it's kind of autobiographical and short, and it goes like this. I was young in Charlottesville. That was a long, long time. Now I'm homesick and I'm poor Poor is at least no crime As long as I'm a dollar down Tomorrow might get better If I could erase each place I've gone I could stop singing forever Oh my Sarah Jane Long years since I met you Oh my Sarah Jane How many till I can forget you I went to bed in Galveston, dreamed about Tennessee. Woke up thinking the man I was is not who I was born to be. Filled my pockets with shells from the bay, kids far away need mining. I'll be home come Saturday and put my dreaming behind me. My Sarah Jane, long years since I met you. Oh, sweet Sarah Jane, how many till I can forget you? I know you use a capo, uh, so you're definitely on the capo good side of things. Yeah, who isn't? I, I've heard a couple people say, and I'm a pro capo guy by far. Uh, but some people are think capo is a cheater's uh, trick. Maybe they're electric guitarists. I can't imagine how you'd even play that in that key without a capo. You know, it would be well certainly for bluegrass. Every song's in G, and you just use a capo. That's true. Yeah, it's it's the way. It's fun uh, talking to a guy that knows about music. You know, that's, you're definitely distinguished in the radio field for oh, that well, reason. I am also unpaid, which makes me very distinguished. Those that's, two. That's the that's difference. Cause yes. and effect problem. Yes. Uh, so when you when your record gets nominated for a Grammy, does it sell? Do a lot of people buy it? Do radio stations start playing it? Good Who question. Otherwise, good question. I've uh, heard that question a few times, um, and I'm not, I'm not sure. So this happened when was it like six months ago? And I think that I've noticed that I'm playing in better rooms. Like this week, I'm definitely playing in better rooms, but I'm also out with another guy with AJ Croce, and so I can't really untangle the threads completely and figure out, you know, from is the word Grammy have to have a, a, a trademark TM or deal? something? Yeah, is it like Super Bowl? I mean, the big game. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, that's, that I never that always disturbs me. Uh, you've been busy. You've been California, New York, Massachusetts, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and you just returned from Hawaii. How was that? Oh, because it's September sixteenth. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got me there for a minute. I'm just joking. It was great. Uh, it was a little cold. You're, you 
you've been very busy on the road, and folks should check uh, your website for all your dates, RobbieFolks.com. I see that you are going to Hawaii, or you just came from Hawaii. How did you ever get booked in Hawaii? Uh, to be honest, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a story, but not an interesting one. But in general, like the offers come in the agency. The agency sends a deal memo, and they say, do you want to do this? And then I say yes or no, and usually I say yes. So, so somebody it, just has a club in Hawaii and wanted you to play? Well, in this case, it was a guy... I don't know. It's not a very interesting story. Okay. It's really not. I mean, it was a guy that uh, I knew through somebody else but didn't know that I knew, and he liked my music. Mostly it's people like my music. <laughs> That's hard to believe. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I still can't <laughs> That's believe That's how you it. get those gigs. <laughs> wow. Can I, uh, I need to interrupt you guys for a minute. Please. I was hoping somebody would interrupt us. <laughs> All right, I can't remember where we stopped, so I can't remember. Did you guys break both of my cameras? <laughs> oh, no. Sure. We got the pros on the case. Um, so I don't know how to segue, but it doesn't matter. I think you are a uh, an insane guitar player. Like, you're... Well, that's true. The best thing about you is that you don't play like anybody else. Is that true? I mean, right. maybe it's just all these things put together equals you, but I don't know anybody else who plays like you. I, uh, I don't think about it too much, but it probably is like diversity of uh, sources because uh, I play a lot of bluegrass, but um, and in that field, there's one go-to. You know, Tony Rice has been the go-to guy for, I don't know, 40 years, and it's a problem in bluegrass that everybody plays like this one guy, you know, like almost everybody but David Greer, uh, Tony's licks and mind is like 80% or something of who they are, it seems like. Yeah. And so... Um, and so uh, that that's reflected in my bluegrass playing. But in all of my playing, bluegrass and otherwise, it's just uh, I feel free to uh, draw from Thelonious Monk or uh, Chuck Berry or, you know, other people that are so far from the bluegrass canon that it probably sounds like something new. Yeah, I saw a, t- uh, a YouTube of you b- being the Rick Nielsen in a Cheap Trick cover band recently. But, and you're playing a big Les Paul guitar. And, uh, yeah, I can't really do that style. There was another guitar player that night that was doing most of the lead stuff. But, but yeah, were, I love that right style, right there, too. yeah. Can you play us a, an instrumental tune, uh, something fast and that you'll make mistakes on? Hmm. I guess so. I mean, I could play, like, a, a fiddle tune or something. You know, there's one I kind of like that I just learned last week called... Uh, What's it called? 14 Days in Georgia. It's like... Uh, uh, sorry, I'm making mistakes. Too many mistakes in there. Now Good. you've embarrassed me. Thank you. Uh, how many guitars do you have? Uh, I just bought one uh, Friday, so that makes it one, two, uh, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe nine. Not a ton, you know, not like a lot of guys. Nine. Like Rick Nielsen or Vince Gill or something, you know. Yeah. Those are crazy people, though. The, yeah, nine's more than <laughs> than most people, though. Right? I mean, Rick Nielsen's you know. crazy people. <laughs> uh, for me, the, when when I'm trying to spread the gospel of Robbie Falks, I'm always talking about this kind of balance of the guy writes great songs that like nobody else, right? From an original point of view, that's what I'm always looking for. Uh, but still, with that fit into the you you know you use a palette that i'm familiar with yet you are innovating okay you sing great you play guitar like nobody else and you make good records right you put all those things together 
and that makes you you. Is there one of those things that you that you disavow that you think you you could really improve on, or are you with me? The there? records. Uh, I mean, I made twelve or thirteen. You think, well, he knows how to do it by now, and I'm getting the idea of how to do it. But uh, I mean, you do something twelve or thirteen times. Uh, if you know what I mean, you do it every year, every three years, whatever it is, uh, you don't exactly learn how to do it, you know, in a continuous pattern. Whereas I'm playing every day and I'm doing shows, you know, 130 a year or whatever it is, that I can do. I can, and I would say do it in my sleep, but I can do it if I'm having a bad day and I'm off, I can still kind of do it credibly. But making records is, I mean, there's a lot going on there. And you're at the mercy of, somewhat at the mercy of the guy who's setting up the mics and whose board it is and whose place you're at and stuff like that. In other words, I don't do it at home. I do it at places. Your last two records, you definitely, we talked about this one of the other times we spoke, where you kind of said, I'm getting older, my hearing's shot, I've got to make some mellower records. I, I know, said that before with you? Yeah. Oh. I've been complaining about this for years, evidently. <laughs> well, we talked on the phone. It was not that long ago, a couple of years ago. I think it was an, maybe last year when Upland came out. Uh, and uh, it's funny because that... You change your life in this way, the whole Grammys and everything like that. Is there going to be another? I mean, are you done with pop songs, or is there going to be a, yet another chapter, or do you foresee? Well, you know, it's funny that, but you, you think that this stuff would be semi planned out, you know, like what you're going to do next, and sometimes it isn't. So next year, uh, I've been like working uh, for years on and off on this, like uh, on songs, recordings. Every Tuesday, I go into a studio and record something new that I've written. And I'm going to dump that on the Internet at some point as a 50-song download package, which I also did maybe nine yeah. years ago uh, and a similar thing. And that's, a, that's nice because it keeps me writing and it keeps money dribbling in. You know, people buy the downloads, and it's just a little seed money that keeps things percolating along. So you're going to throw 50 songs out? Well, yeah, and then I reuse some of them for record for official releases. Uh-huh. You know, so, so. but your next official release will it just be when you have whatever fourteen songs? Well, that I'm getting you like there. okay. So the uh, <laughs> my job is to to get you shepherd there. me along. Today, yes, you're, you know, you're doing great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I'm working on a Bob Dylan cover record, which uh, will probably be out next year. And it's a sort of a, most of it's a radical reinterpret. It's a cover to cover uh, cover of uh, the Street Legal LP, and but most of it's totally new. Uh, Newly imagined renditions of those songs. But finally, the thing that's sort of the official thing that's coming out is a duet record with, of all people, uh, Linda Gale Lewis. I bet you're one of the people that knows who she is because I run across some people who don't. I mean, to me, she's like a pretty tall figure, you know, and I've loved her singing and her records for a lot of years, you know, and obviously including the ones that most people know about with the duets with Jerry Lee Lewis and with Van Morrison and then with some Swedish guys that she sometimes sings with. But uh, anyway, we got to. I started producing a record on her, and at some point, the label said, "No, we preferred if it was duets, and we put your name on the cover as well." So that's what it is, and we're almost done with it. And that record is really kind of her style, you know. It's like pounding rock and roll, and it's country and western, and a little bit of folk. In other words, somebody that was born in Louisiana as Jerry Lee Lewis's sister in 1947. You know, what is that mind? That's what. That's what that record is, and I think that's an endlessly interesting yeah. subject. I think she's playing at Ponderosa Stomp this year in October in New Orleans. If, if she was playing at it? She's going to be. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, which this is, comes out which is next September month. 16th. Yes, that's only a month from now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. i got to buy my tickets. Yeah. Have you seen Marty Stewart's band recently? Uh, not in the, no, not in the last 10 years. Uh, I just I seen I them twice in the past two years, and they blew my mind to pieces. One of the it's maybe the best band out there, a live band out there. It's just I mean, just the best. Yeah, I mean, they're so good. And since Chris joined them, I mean, you, I'd see him ten years ago, and I think, how could it get better? But I think with Chris joining them, it might have gotten a little bit better. I think it did. He adds a little Paul McCartney to it, which was sure. like, oh, you didn't think that's what that needed, but and somebody uh, to look at that doesn't look like uh, you know, <laughs> uh, a session guy. Who am I thinking of? Like that guy Bert from All in the Family or something. You're on your own. Yeah. <laughs> so what other what what songwriters do you love? I think in the past we've talked about Big Al Anderson. Love him. Yeah, he's the best. Who else do you love? Who else do you th- I wish I wrote that. Well, I'll tell you. There's a core group of people that I've been thinking a lot about in the last 5 or 6 years that uh I think are just dynamite, and they all come from a kind of a region and a and an era. 
and I keep coming back to these guys, but it's like Dan Penn, Bobby Charles, Jesse Winchester, and a few more guys of that ilk. Maybe Arthur Alexander. Uh, I was just going to say that. Uh, love him. But, uh, but that sound has really been uh, driving me a lot for the last. And I, I have a pretty diverse menu of things that I like. But as a, as a thing to uh, inspire you when you sit down to write, I find that's a pretty constant uh, wellspring. Yeah, I totally agree. That is like the wheelhouse for me. Those guys all do that thing. It's almost like you have to detach your brain and not like their, their songs seem to have just fallen out. You know, there's they don't seem sweated over or too crafty, and they they just work on such a universal level. Yet they're so unique. You know, I I, I don't know how they do it. Well, that's exactly right. You know, and there's there's lines that happen, and uh, you know, Bobby Charles's song. I'm trying to think of one. Offhand, you know, maybe a famous one like Tennessee Blues. The chorus goes, uh, Place I'd feel loose, a place I could lose. The Tennessee Blues. So it goes, A place I'd feel loose a place I could lose, the Tennessee Blues. So you look at that, you think, no, that's very unprofessional. Loose and lose aren't rhymes. They're almost the same word. And feel loose <laughs> is kind of a casual, weird idea thrown in there. And so when people cover that, like professional bluegrass bands cover it, they've changed that first line. Uh, oh. And I forget what they change it to. A place I to do, 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 do. They change it to something else. But I love that unprofessional, that touch of unprofessionalism. To me, it's like that that flaw in the painting that makes it a classic. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. And you can't you can't fake that. You know, that's like apparently I've tried. <laughs> Maybe you can. I don't know. Well, yeah. One of the things again, and with you, balance to me is what it's all about. There's like a cleverness, and there's also heartfeltness. And for me, the most interesting people that I want to be friends with, the people I want to sit next to at a wedding or whatever, is somebody who balances, somebody who can make you laugh, who can make you cry, right? But that sometimes that's it's easier in the commercial music world to just do one thing, boom, you know. And mm. if you tr- if you ever make anyone laugh, then you're a clown all of a sudden, mm. you know, and. uh have you, you ever experienced that? Mm. Well, uh, you know, funny music to me, it's not, uh, It's. I mean, it's, you know, I just admire craftsmen. And whether it's uh, Michael Flanders or Alan Sherman or, you know, or people that write great, funny music, uh, Stan Freeberg, um, uh, Cole Porter, you know, uh, or if it's that stuff we were just talking about. I, I really relate strongly to both of them. But, yeah, what you said is a problem. Like, if you do one funny thing, then it kind of sometimes it taints it for people. They think you're not a serious person all of a sudden, which is crazy, you know. Yeah, or they think that, you know, being funny is like having blue eyes or taking your pants off or something. Oh, it's just something, you know, that that guy did. You know, he sneezed, he took his pants off, and I laughed, you know. Like, they might relate it to like that when you sing a funny song that they don't, they don't respond to it as some... I don't know. I don't know. Because on the other hand, you're crying at something serious, and that's an emotional reaction, too. I don't know what people think. Who knows? They're idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Who are these people? <laughs> the big idea. Uh, you mentioned if you have a bad day. What do you mean? When, when do you have a bad day? What makes you have a bad day? Oh, when you eat something bad, you feel sick, or, you know, whatever, something like that. Or, you know, if you have a bad conversation with your wife, or, you know, anything like that, you know? Just regular stuff. Yeah, regular just stuff. The, just the world. Uh, you have three kids, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do they play music? Uh, my first one does not. My second one, that's all he ever wants to do, and he drums and plays good bass and guitar as well, sings well. He went to Berkeley for a little bit, and then uh, and now he's at Bard. He decided he uh, he didn't really care for Berkeley that much, but he's doing great at Bard. And then my third guy has no interest in being a musician, but he's an excellent uh, sort of... Uh, stride pianist well he plays different piano styles but he started out as a guy that liked fats waller a lot that's how we that was his window where uh where he first got into it and he also plays a pretty good violin and so yeah they do you play the piano no i can't really do that Uh, can you you can right no no i can fake it a little bit i can play the chords you know i can't read music though me neither yeah who can anymore my daughter 
Well, who, who is she? She's going to amount to nothing. <laughs> She's had lessons. Um, <laughs> so, but are you, so we, are you able to bring all of these balances into being a good dad? I guess that's where I'm headed with this. Do you think? Bring all of what? Your your balances in life. You know, I think you're. That's what I think is interesting about you. This weird balance of things. Just musically speaking. Well, everything emotionally, everything. Are you a better dad than your dad? Definitely. Oh. <laughs> now, now I know that your dad. I just say that because I know he's going to listen to this. He like <laughs> listens to everything that I, know, I do. He's a big fan of mine. No, I think you know your dad it's was interesting. A teacher, cause, is that right? Say again. Was he a teacher? Your dad. Yeah, he was but a history teacher. But you moved around all the time. Yeah, he lives in Mexico. Uh, no, but as a kid, you moved around. I, yeah, I moved around a lot. Because yeah. why? Why does a teacher need to Well, they to were young. You know, they were just getting started in life and finding a job and going to college. And so they were kind of unsettled, I think. But, um, uh, yeah, we moved around about once a year until I was uh, uh, 12. So That's a lot. It was a lot, yeah. And some years we moved more than once. We were just, like, renting places and moving around. But it was, it was just one of those things. Nothing you know. nefarious there? You know, I was young, so I'm not sure. But, uh, but yeah, I think they were just, you know, on that economic rung where you're unsettled and moving around a lot. <laughs> still, still people like that. Yeah. Uh, in your career, good advice you've received, bad advice you re- you've received? Like an example of each? Well, whatever. That's interesting. Because you get a lot of both. And it's not clear. Like, smart people give you bad advice. Dumb people give you good advice, you know? Sometimes you have to set it, gonna sort it out. I'll tell you once we were talking about Al Anderson. So um, I got I got a, a, a chance to make a record for a big label, and I was, uh, I was just at the beginning of a contract. I was excited, and I called him up, and uh, he said, what are you going to do? I said, I- I'm going to do – I said, I admire you. I'm going to do what your band, NRBQ, taught me to do. I'm going to make a record with – all styles, and it's going to be a hodgepodge, and it's going to be a beautiful. And he said, "Don't do that, whatever you do." And uh, I said, "What?" He goes, uh, "He goes, well, do one thing, and give it a label. I don't care what the label is. It uh, is call it uh, stupid boy music, but give it a clear label and do the same thing over and over again. Do the opposite of what I did." <laughs> and so that was both good advice and advice that I've never followed. Yeah. And uh, you know, you end up. I realize now, you know, I've ended up in this, um, you know, low rung on the uh, ladder of success. But I'm also where uh, a lot of the people that I admired when I was a kid uh, ended up and stayed for most of their careers. You know, so in that way, I take a little bit, just a very little bit of comfort from the fact that uh, I'm like, oh, well, I admired, you know, Ernest Tubb. And for a lot of his career, he was... You know, riding around and playing in dives like I'm doing. And I admired John Hammond, you know, Jr., that guy, or my people like that. And I just, I play in these places where these guys played and continue to play a lot of them. Yeah, you feed your family playing music. I don't, I don't know why you're. Yeah, no, I'm not. You would even hedge on that. I'm not. Did did you not. Obsessing on it. Co write a song with Big Al you shouldn't have from that album? I've written a couple with him, but yeah, uh, that one, yeah. Can you play it for us? Hmm, I don't know if I remember it all. Or any song you co-wrote with him, since you mentioned him. Or an NRBQ cover. NRBQ, oh my gosh. There are too many to choose from. There's a place we go On certain nights Right up in the front row Then I turn out my lights Faces when the man says. 
Part where they go, uh, they go, ah, bridge, ah. I wasn't sure I could recall the chords, ah, uh, and I can't, so. <laughs> well done, boy, that's fantastic. That's a uh, good one. Yeah, that's so good. Robbie Folks is our guest. You have lived in Chicago a long time, and you seem to play there very regularly, right? And uh, it's a very interesting music scene there. I mean, aside. You know, going to see uh, Scott and Casey playing bands every single night. It's a Chicago band now. Yes, uh, three quarters of it is, yeah. Uh, Is Chicago part of what you are musically? Yeah, I couldn't help but it be a part of what I do. You know, I've been there 30-some years, and uh, yeah, it's... uh, it's, I think it's more diverse than Nashville, which would be the place that I would naturally gravitate to because, you know, I'm a country writer and singer, but... um, but uh, it kind of forces me out of that shell in a way that I, I don't think I would be forced out of it if I lived in Nashville. I think I'd be more part of the hive mind if I were down there. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, I would never describe you as a country singer to people, even though I the do. evidence is sort of to the contrary. All uh, the time. You spent five years working in Nashville writing songs, and I think you told me last time zero of those songs <laughs> were recorded, right? That You were writing songs f- for a publishing company. Yeah, I figured, you know... If guys were getting cuts by Reba McIntyre and Garth Brooks, I could probably do that kind of work. I thought I'd try my hand at it. And it was actually kind of fun trying it, you know. But uh, I didn't get anywhere with it. But but also, I I probably wasn't doing it right, and I wasn't living there, and I probably wasn't co-writing enough. And I definitely – there was an institutional thing where the people that signed me sort of left the company directly after they signed me, and I was left with people that didn't really like what I did or whatever. So there was that going on too. Um, but the idea of divorcing yourself, well, this isn't for me. This is for you know. It's like I'm going to write a song for the Archies. So you're you don't have to. You're doing that. They're cartoons. I would love to do that. Okay. Yeah. If they when they get back together. <laughs> right, but you like the Archies. I like, of course. I don't particularly like Garth Brooks's music, but you know. Uh, that's it's true. Okay. You have to like the Archies. I always I always point out Sugar Sugar always when I need an example of a of a crass thing that mm. I love. Sure. It was created by scientists almost. You know sure. what I mean. With cigars, you know, they wrote the, you know, but it's great, you know, so it it, it can be, you can pump out something that's still good. I think good. so, yeah, the music yeah. role model is definitely a logical and sound way to work, and it's not really different from the Brill Building model, is it? It's like, you know, come in every day, it's an office, churn them out, do the work, understand the form, uh, work with others, all that kind of thing. Yeah, and no zero cuts landed on album nothing the stuff when people have cut my records it's been because because i've now made a you've record been covered you know now i've been covered and and you. but from the beginning uh you know from when i started to have other people cut my stuff it was just because i was making records and not because somebody was pitching or working right. yeah yeah i read on your website something that surprised me you've voiced or sung campaigns for budweiser mcdonald's nickelodeon and applebee's uh, well i was really trying to puff up my resume i did all that stuff a long time ago before i was making these records uh. and yeah i thought it was an interesting factor in what it I is i i couldn't believe it that, so you would go into a studio and just sing a mcdonald's jingle well there's a lot of that work in chicago you know it's like uh 
country music business isn't there, but the ad business is there's a lot of that there. And my wife, especially, is, is that's her job. You know, she's uh, she does voiceovers, so she's kind of in that world. And so sometimes I'd get a call through her agency, you know, being married to her. And then sometimes, again, people just know my records and they would say, uh, you know, we need a country singer. Like there was a McDonald's commercial that they wanted a sort of Junior Brown style voice. And uh, they said, well, maybe we'll give you a shot at this. And it ended up being one of those things where, you know, well, I got a big, big Mac, you know, and they were very pleased. Right. And it ran for you a couple months and it like was good Junior money. Brown, you know? Yeah, in real life. Yeah, but sure, good money. Yeah. Uh, I love Junior Brown and he's another amazing live performer we saw him recently he can be problematic on a personal level but yeah i like his music what is that i've tried (laughs) to get him on the show and they're like fax a request on letterhead fax a request on letterhead is how you get junior brown on your radio show interesting (laughs) yeah he's living in in his own zone and i think he's uh, maybe a little nuts you know oh he certainly that's not libelous or anything (laughs) to say (laughs) he's a little nuts (laughs) like ernest hemingway he's He's a little nuts he's a Interesting man. I don't. He certainly plays like a guy who's has his own drummer going in his head or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, I'll cut yeah, all that out. A Rob drummer Rob. with a, a lion tamer's. I'll do you a favor. Flash. Uh, let's talk about. You mentioned uh, Chuck Berry earlier. Let's talk about Chuck Berry and Glenn Campbell, both guys who've passed away. I mean, Chuck Berry. Uh, any? Do you ever cross paths with either of those guys? Oh, I wish I could say that I did. No, I, I've just you know played with guys that have played with them and stuff and but i don't have access to a wealth of great uh you know personal an- anecdotes about either one just a, a lot of reverence for both of them yeah what uh can you give us an, any insider perspective of why glenn campbell's a great musician mm-hmm. to me uh to me there's too many people that are in music and a lot of them are doing great at music making perfectly good money and playing to big audiences but they have this blind spot which is that they don't know about music and um <laughs> and you know and it hasn't really hurt them in a way like i say but to me as a listener like as a i would say you know sort of educated music consumer uh, it, it bothers me when people don't know about music and by that i mean like knowing the names of chords and the um some of the language of uh, harmony theory, just a little bit of it. I don't mean like going to Berkeley or anything like that, just uh, learning things as you go through life. And so if you're successful, sometimes, you know, if you get successful at age 22, you, you can get in the sealed-off zone, obviously, that prevents you from needing to learn any of that, any of that stuff. But um, the thing about Glenn uh, was he started off uh, out of that zone as a session player. And... Uh, and so he uh, he played an instrument really well. He understood the vocabulary of music really well. And by the time that he got to be a big star in 1968, was it, that his show was on? Good time hour. Yeah. By the time that the world found out about him, uh, he already knew so much about music. Um, so I, I don't know that that argument needs <laughs> extending much, you know? He knew a lot. He could do a thing really well. And he could do three things really well, the singing and the playing and the writing. And in country music, you know, when you got a guy like that or like Jerry Reed or like Buddy Miller or like Jimmy Murphy, to take a more obscure example, uh, there are all these guys uh, that, uh, you know, there's sort of this template in country music. Like you can do things and you can do those three things. And when you do those three things, you can mold the whole thing into one snowball of personality that's uh, indomitable, I think. That's the thing to shoot for. Well, you have to have the charisma. I mean, you know, like Chet Atkins was never going to be a TV star. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he couldn't sing. Yeah. Uh, and he couldn't write songs as far as I know. He did that one thing. And there's nothing wrong, obviously, with doing the one is the fox and the hedgehog uh, um, comparison. But uh, but I, I was like those foxy guys that, uh, you know what I mean, fox and hedgehog, that Isaiah Berlin thing, where you, the fox does many things pretty well. The hedgehog burrows down and does... One thing He's you look at, lost. Yeah. No, I've never heard this before. Okay. This is a new one. <laughs> this is directed uh, exclusively to graduates of Fordham University today. <laughs> you want to do any of those songs? Any of them? But these are requests. Yeah, those are requests? those are just literally my requests. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> there's one song on here called "I Never Did Like Planes," and it's uh, 
my kid hates that song so I much that, that every song. time that I call him, he sings it to me sarcastically. He said, why did you write that? Really? What were you thinking? Give me the So number. what's your argument for why that's a decent song? Well, it's a beautiful song. It's simple. It's sweet. It's melodic. It's See? Know, it's short. It's short. <laughs> well, uh, that song comes from your album, uh, Georgia Hard, which is my favorite of your albums. And maybe we've discussed this before, but it came along at a time when you'd already made so many great records. It's very surprising for somebody's eighth album or whatever to be your favorite. You know, somebody who you already you bought their first album. And you never, you don't think Paul McCartney's next album is going to be your favorite album that he made. You know what I mean? So, and that to me is such a perfect, sweet album. It's of a thing that I like. So I wish there were more well, records like that in the world. That's yeah, one of the I, kindest I like compliments I ever got was when that that record came out. Steve Fischel, who plays steel guitar and was at that time A and R at uh, Sugar Hill. He said, uh, I'm really surprised this is a guy's eighth record because uh, from the first song, it sounds like you're youthful, you're enjoying yourself, and you're still like f- discovering new things. Uh-huh. I thought that was the nicest compliment I ever heard. Yeah, that's and, right on, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. Do us a song. I'll do the one from that list uh, that's more uh, recent. And uh, where did I put that thing anyway? In a very obvious place, no doubt. Your capo? Yeah. Oh. In a dusty shack high in the Blue Ridge Mountains it was tough work, brown dirt and bluegrass songs Sweet hickory filled the air Daddy's love was hard to bear If I knew how rich I was, I'd not have gone But the city called my name and I came running With my young man's hopes and my daddy's old guitar I played the dives and paid some dues Singing every tune I knew And them homesick ones I sang the best by far Now I've seen the sun go down On the streets of New York town And I've watched it from the hills of old Virginia Beauty is what the eye beholds One man stirs another's cold Oh, but sometimes the grass is really greener Company man confessed he liked me But he'd have to shave a few rough edges down Cut my hair like rooks and guns Trade the banjo for some drums Cause no one would buy that old high lonesome sound Now I don't know just what this deal's got me I've gained not a fan and I lost the ones I had I've worn my heart right through my sleeve Singing a song I don't believe I believe I'll go back home to mom and dad Now I've seen the sun go down On the streets of New York town And I've watched it from the hills of old Virginia Beauty's what the eye beholds One man's thirst, another's gold Oh, but sometimes the grass is really greener Shack high in the Blue Ridge Mountains And when I die it's on this farm to lay me down And the hills will hear my song Cause it's there that I belong And you just can't shake old roots from the southern ground Well I've seen the sun go down on the streets of New York town And I watched it from the hills of old Virginia Beauty's what the eye beholds, one man's dirt's another's gold. Oh, but sometimes the grass is really greener. Sometimes the grass is. 
playing some shows with AJ Croce, and you play first. Is that right? Well, I'm not sure because we got four. These first two I played first. It's supposedly a co bill. Oh, really? I'm waiting to see if one of the next two that I get to go second. <laughs> but I'm happy going first because I get the bar earlier and, uh, yeah, get done earlier. Uh, well, I was going to say that it, times when you have had to play first, I won't say be the opening act, but in those times when you had to play first, I'm going to assume that when you play to an audience of people who don't know you at all, that they that you're very good at converting people into fans. Am I right? Sometimes. I don't do it all that much anymore where I open up. I did uh, a couple opening gigs. I did two opening gigs last year for Old Crow Medicine Show where they invited me to come, and the first night was fabulous. I felt like... Uh, you know, I, I just sold a ton of records, made a lot of new. You know, it went exactly like it was supposed to go. And the second night, they hated me. So I would say <laughs> I'm 50% good at it, maybe. I don't know. Ah, that is a surprise to me. Uh, can you play us more music? Mm-hmm. Do you in the mood? Yeah. Let's see if I can remember that one we were just, uh, I was maligning and you were defending. The thing about this number, <laughs> it's such a timeless it needs explanation. Song. It's from a record where I was trying to do the 70s country thing, because I love this 70s country music. It's by guys like uh, Don Williams and some Ronnie Millsap and uh, Gene Watts and people like that. But um, there's a lot of piggish behavior in these songs, and I think probably by guys in the 70s, there, it was a good time for piggish behavior. And the songs reflect that, and they kind of uh, they flirt with... Uh, disgusting idea sometimes but that that doesn't describe this song it's just that era of kind of like hungover suburban gentle middle class country music and and i love it and i, I kind of love the feel so the feel of that plain song and most of this was written by uh dallas wayne a friend of mine and i added a couple lines here and there one way no, no that's bad key one-way ticket flight 703 Say goodbye to Tennessee We had so much, now it's all gone Nothing left to move along She said, don't cry, baby You'll land on your feet, I know I'm halfway to heaven And I still haven't let go I never did like planes I'm not one to fly I guess we'd all have wings God love goodbyes I can't believe We're all through I never did like planes But I sure loved you Three-piece suits, schedules to keep A mother rocking her boy to sleep Servicemen on their way back home Fifty thousand feet, I'm all alone Skies are not so friendly With you down on the ground Something in me turns cloudy Every time I look down I never did like planes I'm not one to fly I guess we'd all have wings And I'd love goodbyes I just can't believe We're all through I never did like planes But I sure loved you Says, is there something wrong, sir? I say only my heart. They got checked at the curb. It's erupt descent over a strange skyline. And if love's waiting somewhere, I don't think that I'll make it there on time. I never did like planes. Cause I'm not one to fly. Wouldn't we all have wings? God love goodbyes I can't believe
believe that we're all through. I never did like planes, but I still love. I never did like planes, but I still love you. I mean, what's so bad about that? Your son's wrong. He's a little wrong. I mean, it's uh, it's not for every taste. He's kind of a pointy-headed guy, to tell you the truth, my son. He's, like, super bright. I think maybe super bright people don't like that song. I like that song. I'm not so smart, you know? I agree. Keep it simple for me, song-wise, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I like pop songs. I'm sorry. Uh, or I'm not sorry. I don't know. What are rules to live by? What are tell us? <laughs> It's so strange, man. You're sitting down in a seat. I'm standing. You're saying, what are rules to live by? Sonny. Okay. You don't like what are rules to live by. Uh, I like it, but, uh, I mean, you know, what have you to learned? answer it, I would have to be a little bit cocky, I guess. No, uh, what are rules to live I mean, by? Don't drink coffee. Drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> sleep a lot. Don't sleep. Oh, you sleep. mean like an... Like a whimsical response, like Warren Zevon, enjoy no, I mean, every sandwich. No, I mean, like, what do you, what have you learned? What's some advice to people, for me, for anyone living? Mm, stay curious about things outside yourself, I guess. Okay. I mean, I'm 54, and uh, I think a lot of guys my age, uh, they get into that, they get into that, so, yeah, I know what I'm doing, listen to me. Da, 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 da. Especially in music, you know, and in the, in the, and in the branch of music that I'm in. This, uh, I mean, if you call it Americana, some of those guys are like real full of themselves or whatever. But I think, like, to keep getting good, <laughs> just for myself, I like not to get into that zone and to stay curious about the world and to try to keep learning about music. I mean, music is so freaking, you know, bottomless and wide that you can, uh, you know, by which I mean the number of genres in the world and how far you want to go down in any of them, you could go. Um, you know, 14 lifetimes in any direction, you know, outward or downward. And um, and that's the thing that I find fruitful and uh, continually inspiring about getting up, making the drive every day, writing another song, is that there's always something new to to push down or out. You know? I think WFMU listeners are... Are right with you in, in this one. Yeah, yeah. right, because that's kind of the, that kind of gets at the credo of this uh, station. It really does. Well, okay, you've told you already told us what's next. That was going to be my last sort of question. Uh, why don't you play us a, a song to uh, an ending song? Let me think of something for my new record. I don't think I've played anything from there. A red-tailed hawk sat watchful at the faded edge of day The phone poles and the pines rose from the scoured clay The sun was slipping toward the gulf in its own good time And you would not think of death if you drove on past the signs The old men at the roadhouse weren't too polite to stare where we'd come from wasn't home And we were far from even there The camera around my neck drew suspicious eyes to me But we were not there to talk We were only there to see And when their faces had said nothing It was then I stepped outside and in the instant I knew I would not forget the sight Alabama at night, Alabama at night You took the wheel up 119, I scanned the road ahead Try to let all I could see Cover up all I had read That hotel would not likely Let a working man lie down Like a current through its walls Ran the sorrow and the sound And I knelt down To let it in me Sure it would come If I gave it time 
I fumbled amongst a hundred words, but words don't do it right. Alabama at night, Alabama at night. Let me try it again. I'm sorry. Sure. I hit so many wrong chords. A red tail hawk sat watchful at the faded edge of day. The phone poles and the pines rose from the scoured clay. The sun was slipping toward the gulf in its own good time. And you would not think of death if you drove on past the signs. The old men at the roadhouse weren't too polite to stare. Where we'd come from wasn't home, but we were far from even there. The camera around my neck drew suspicious eyes to me, but we were not there to talk, we were only there to see. And when their faces had said nothing, it was then I stepped outside. And in the instant I knew I would not forget the sight Alabama at night, Alabama at night You took the wheel up on 19, I scanned the road ahead Trying to let all I could see Cover up all I had read That hotel would not likely Let a working man lie down Like a current through its walls Ran the sorrow and the sound And I knelt down to let it in me Sure it would come if I gave it time And I fumbled amongst a hundred words But words don't do it right Alabama at night Alabama at night Through sunlit rooms the wealthy walk And the pale unshaven men To stand before each frame Five seconds, maybe ten And to unveil all the maker Wanted to portray But I'm not there to talk And if I were I wouldn't say Across of rough cut branches In the wide gray shadowed sky a child not far from birth With the end etched in her eyes The morning star above her And the hymn upon the breeze But pours no sacred song Or is a disease And no hand reaches down from heaven And no one denies it might so patiently we wait here as onward it rolls Alabama at night, Alabama at night, Alabama at night mm. There, Robbie folks. Thank you, Michael. It was a pleasure. I, you know, you're one of my favorites, so it's like a free... Concert for me. You I, are my favorite in terms of <laughs> people to talk to on a radio station. Oh, well, that's, yeah, that's very nice. Well, I'm, you drove out here, and I, you're a busy human person. And I appreciate you coming out here. I had the whole so day fun. off, nothing to do, literally. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Countryer than thou, countryer than thou. You wouldn't raise in a shack, so you better not act so. Countryer than thou, 
You come from where the cuts you grows They think the sound is like a planet A pecker woods and bozos When I was young I picked some tubers Even took a swig of moonshine But I never saw so many goobers Until the day I crossed that line Countryer than thou Countryer than thou You wasn't born in a cave So you better not behave so Countryer than thou Down at the bar A spinning haggard He wore a Johnny Red tattoo Overalls He spat the swagger he was a Boston Jew He loved bluegrass Oh brother When I said Shania He sneered That's a word I would not have We like to keep it down home up here Countryer than thou Countryer than thou You ain't never read your Bible Tell me what's your Bible Countryer than Fifty percent less tar heel armchair Arkansan. He's got a ranch with Stetson. He's a hip shooting at soil king. Even talks like Buddy Epson, but he's sitting in the West Wing. Frankenstein, I'm well aware of. Somebody please explain How you get a county sheriff Walking with a frat boy's brain Countryer than thou Countryer than thou You ain't trying to over What's the banjo for? Countryer than thou Yeah, countryer than thou You ain't raised in a sack So you better 